So yes, God, we declare that we are a hardy people. We find our strength in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Oh, let's let him hear our songs. on the heavens, ruling, reigning. He holds all things, all things, all things. Well, my name's Rachel Hickson, and it is my real honor to be with you here at the Elam Conference. This is my precious husband, Gordon. Many of you probably know him better than me, because in the early days, he was Mr. Missions all over this nation. And um, so it is our honor to be here. I have written four books. Helen, please come. You know, some people need one person to help. Some people need at least three. I need Holy Spirit, my husband, and Helen. She is my associate. You know, it says it takes a village to raise a child, and I think maybe I've never grown up. Um, so I've written a book called Spiritual Architects. This is a book, really, I wrote for this season of how do we actually practically be five-fold ministries in everyday life and local church. What is the gift of the prophet? I think the gift of the prophet is far more than just saying, thus saith the Lord, do, 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 do. Actually, it's helping your sensory awareness, eyes, ears, and mouth in the house of God so that we're sensorily aware. Teachers can help our interface informational download, but we need prophets to help our sensory, discerning what's in the heavens above, earth beneath, and what's going on in the land. So that's spiritual architects. Release my frozen assets. This is a book of women and their role in society today. I took me every ounce of courage to write this book because I was scared of being a Jezebel, a weirdo, women's liber, all the rest. But I use the brain of Helen, who went to Oxford, who's a theological genius. So if you don't like the theology, uh, no. <laughs> um, but we use practical experience, Gordon and I, with theological and looked at all those scriptures and have done not a prescriptive set, but an interpretive model that maybe you could find hard if you're walking through that journey. 
Then maybe my favorite, I love prayer. No apology. Come on, let's say it with me. I love prayer. You know, often praying in crisis, pray for my teenage, pray for, no, I just, that love, that privilege that Jesus wants to talk to me and I get to talk to him. 10 chapters on different models and styles of prayer. And the final one, my husband's book, Harness for Adventure. If you want a fantastic holiday read, this is a man who went to Wellington, Sandhurst, Cambridge with Nicky Gumbel. God arrested him, hijacked him while disproving religion, writing a thesis in Cambridge, Corpus Christi, and God turned his life around. It's a story of faith, risk, adventure, modern day. It is awesome, and I love it. Thank you. Please, Helen, give them away. Thank you, Gordon. Today, I think sometime, lunchtime, etc. I do a seminar. Probably because of time, I won't have time to pray for you, bless you. But I really believe that I want information and impartation. And so in my seminar, it hopefully will be highly imparting. I want you to know that you're wet with the presence of God and ready to carry fire. Gordon and I, well, we live in Oxford. Come on. Cambridge, I know you kept quiet, but we won't go there. I'm a Mish kid. I grew up in India. Gordon and I had the privilege of being missionaries in Africa. And yes, Reinhard Bonker was our hero. Africa will be saved. Yes, I went to church before I was born. Anyone like me? I tried to leave a little bit in teenage years, but at the age of four, I gave my life to Jesus when a move of God was happening in our Bombay Baptist Church, and my dad, a good Southern Baptist, encountered Holy Spirit, and everything changed. And I was caught hugging my pillow saying, oh Jesus, I love you. Age of 10, when another move of God in Bombay, Calaba Baptist Church, when Arthur Wallace came to minister on the Holy Spirit, I received the Holy Spirit. But at the age of 17, here in Harrogate, I went to the Dales Bible Week, and I had been expelled from my boarding school <laughs> because I was a good girl, I promise. <laughs> But you see, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit in a very conservative, evangelical, Plymouth Brethren boarding missionary school. And because I kept speaking in tongues and 60 other girls caught the heavenly virus, I got expelled. <laughs> but then you see, what happened was I became fearful. But here in Harrogate, Ern Baxter preached on the kingdom of God. And he began, it was like he put a hook in the very heart of me and said, I can use anyone. It's not your ability, it's your availability. It's not your experience, it's your willingness. And I stood up as a 17-year-old girl saying, God, I don't know if you use girls and I don't know if you want me, but if you do, I'm ready for a challenge. And that week we saw angel encounters. I saw heaven touch earth and something happened in me. So Father, speak to us, I pray today. Let it be an encounter moment, a shifting time. Something happens in us and it ruins us for life. Just like Chris said, you know, John 6, when he challenges us, well, you're going to leave? No, please. Where would I go? You put your hook in me. 
So today I'm going to speak on spiritual architects. Spiritual architects. Why do you need an architect? Well, usually when you move into a new footprint or a new house or a new season era, and you know that there is opportunity in front of you to build a new thing, but you don't have all the skills to do it, you call in an architect to use their design, their creative thinking, their thinking of outside the box, and then you call a builder. And you see, I believe in this season that God is wanting to craft a both and season. So often in the church, we live with an either or mentality. Well, I am a seeker-friendly church. We make welcome for people to come in. I am a Holy Spirit church and we just let everything go. Well, why can't it be both ends? You see, my Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that when there is prophecy happening in the right way, the unbeliever is very comfortable and he goes, whoa, God's here. I like that. You see, we say with leadership, we, I just want men or I want girls. Why don't we have men and women working together? Well, we're a youth church. Well, why can't we be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and be the both and churches? I'm the church of the word. Oh, no, I'm the church of the spirit. No, let's be both and. I'm the church of the word and the spirit. I'm an internet church and we've got... Cam- oh, no, I'm a face-to-face. We do the real thing. No, is there a hybrid? Is there a both and right there? You see, I believe that God wants us, as Chris said, to be mission-hearted, but also, and here's a prophet speaking, be mission-minded. This is an Oxford prophet. (laughs) You see, I believe God wants us to be articulate, strategic thinkers, informed, intelligent, but relationally sensitive touching the hearts, discerning atmospheres, understanding a room. You see, I believe God is calling us in this day to be the people who awaken our nation and our communities with a fresh sense of hope, dreaming, expectation, and purpose. God spoke to me at the beginning of this year, and he said, this year will be a year of uncertainty, but it will be a year of great doors of opportunity, and he will give us the keys of the kingdom to unlock those doors if we have eyes to see. And you see, what is the gift of a prophet, often in scripture called a seer? You know, I think Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19, it says this. Behold, I do a new thing. Annoyingly, new means new. So we've not been there before. Do you now perceive it? That's that sniffing anointing. It's like, I can't put my hands on it, but I sense it, feel it, know it. You see, God is wanting that prophetic discernment, sensory skills of the church to be upgraded. And then we partner that with the building skills of strategic wisdom. And then we've got a plan. As a prophet, I said, well, God, have you got a word for Elim? And then he said this to me. He said, no, Rachel, like John chapter 4, 
I'm going to give you outlines of revelation, but your job, task today, is to stir questions which help people come to the right conclusions. How many of you know when an architect visits your house, the first thing they do is they ask you lots of questions. How many bedrooms? What do you want? How does it look? And I believe that rather than da-da-da-da, thus saith the Lord time, God is sitting with us and saying, talk to me. Tell me. What do you want? What do you feel? He's asking questions. I felt that God wants you to stir even the questions of your own heart. He wants to ask you questions about your mindsets, your sentiments. What are your distinctives? What are your reactions where you have reacted? What are your responses? You know, here's some questions. How do you, as Elim, Regents College, training, etc., how do you serve the urban church in the south, on the coast? In the north, how do you serve the rural church? Should your first training be, well, senior pastor and then youth worker, when actually you're in a rural village where you need a community worker because most people are over 50? You know, do we need to change some of our thinking? What does generational church look like? How are we going to handle wisely the clash of passion, zeal, entrepreneurial thinking with Wisdom, strategy, experience. Are we going to use the old additive that's often used, well, I've got the money, I call the shots. Are we going to use manipulative and dominance and squash zeal and innovativeness? How are we going to harness it better? What does ethnic collaboration look like in 21st century Britain? What does leadership really look like? Is it pyramidal? Is it cyclical? Is it deferring one to another and discovering strengths? What is the place of women? Gordon used this phrase just recently, and it made me think, because honestly, I've never been a woman's liberator, and I don't do this because I'm a girl, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, put your big girl pants on <laughs> and talk. And maybe we do need to ask the questions, where do girls fit in it? But Gordon used this. You see, my dear Gordon, he went to Wellington College, Sandhurst Academy. And then what was the next boys? It's Wellington, Sandhurst Cambridge University. It was an all-boys club, and he, he married me when I was just 20, and he said he'd never really met a girl. <laughs> but he said, but God used this phrase. I mean, the first day of our honeymoon, I was his squaddy. We went up the hills in the Lake District, and he lifted the barbed wire up and said, roll, and all I could see was the poo of the cow. And I'm thinking, well, I just had my nails done for my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but Gordon used this phrase. He said, I did not realize that I had an unconscious chauvinist attitude. And you see, there are so many unconscious mindsets that maybe we need to talk. North South divide. Ooh, political things. 
attitudes, and all these things can color our sensitivity to the kingdom purpose, and it can make us detour rather than be central. What is the place? I'm touching, I know, because I've been in church before I was born. Some of the sacred cows. What about training, Bible schools, internships? How are we going to sculpture them for this kingdom move? How are we going to balance relational, connect face-to-face, heart-to-heart, touchy-feely with strategic, sensible, informational What is the interfaces? You see, I believe God wants you as individuals, movements, to honestly unpack some of the big questions, the elephants in the room, define some of this language so that you really feel secure in your mission purpose and your heartfelt passions. And maybe this is a bit of a cliche, but I went to Exodus chapter 15, the journey of Elam. And if you read this journey there, Moses led Israel across the Red Sea. They went into the desert three days without water. And then they came to this place called Mara, which means bitter. The water was bad. They couldn't drink it. Moses then performs his first miracle. He picks up the wood, throws it in. Water becomes drinkable. First miracle. God then makes his first statute and ordinance with the people. And he declares the ground of Mara, the place of I won't forget you. Right here, I will be your Lord of healing. And it says, verse 15, verse 27, then after this, they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. And I felt God speak to me. You see, Elim literally means the place of strong trees. It means you've been through, we've had the olive tree that that is flourishing. It's the place we've been through some winters, we've done some stuff, and now there's strong trees. It was actually a place of settlement rather than movement. It was a place where, unfortunately, because they got comfortable, because they had 12 springs and 70 date trees, Did you know one date has 120 calories? There's a lot of food to run on there. (laughs) So you see, suddenly they come out of the wilderness and they're in a comfortable place. Interesting, Elam was not the place of miracles, was not the place of of breakthrough, of ordinance. It happened before in Mara. So Mara was the place of bitterness, but the place of encounter the miraculous and ordinance, and Elim was the place of establishment, fruitfulness, advancement, progress, and fulfillment. But the people could not get to Elim unless they went through Mara. And we've talked a lot about, oh, it's been tough, oh, it's been hard. Can I tell you, Elim, maybe you're on another round. Just like this building, it's a bit prophetic. You feel like you're going round and round in circles, but you are actually moving up a level. Come on, in Jesus' name. And God says, you might feel you've come back to the same place, but you're not in the same place. It's a place of advancement. It's a place of progress. But you might have to go on a journey. And the thing is, 
Elam could have got settled in its history. Well, we had a great breakthrough. We had a great miracle. That water turned and Elam was a comfortable place. But Elam was not the destination. The promised land was the destination. And you see, we can get captivated in breakthroughs and make it our promised land. Just very, very quickly, 12 and 70, right there is a mission statement, isn't there? In the Old Testament, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. And then when Jacob came, how many people did Jacob come to into Egypt? Do you know? 70. Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. It says, and Jacob, the descendants of Jacob, number 70 in all, and they came to Joseph. So 12 and 70. Missional move into Egypt. Then fast track into New Testament. Jesus had how many disciples? How many did he send out on mission? 1270. You see, Elam is a resource center from which you're sent out. It's not the place you settle. And so God has been making your nest uncomfortable. He said, come on, Elam, you have had a lot of great things, but I'm messing it up because it's time to move. So Elam, strong trees, water, fruitfulness. But I wonder, what is Elam today? I'm gonna say the dirty word. Is it a denomination or a movement? Well, I very quickly learned by spending time with your people and going on your website. We are not a denomination, we are a movement. (laughs) But I've got some questions for you. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Maybe I should give you, my friends call me a chocolate-covered hand grenade. And God said to me, oh, Rachel, I'm going to send you to comfort the afflicted, but afflict the comfortable. (laughs) So some questions. You see, I believe God wants us to look at ourselves because we're at a tipping point of history. Great doors of opportunity. If we get it right, what satisfaction? If we get it wrong, what a miss. And I'm so thrilled and honoured to be with Chris and Annie Cartwright. I've loved being with Duncan and Helen Clark. Love, Mark and Nita Pugh. So many of you, I'm now going to get in huge trouble. What about me? And you too. (laughs) Many churches and you have really blessed me. But I believe God says, come on, there's time for a bit of internal reflection for forward momentum. God wants you to look back, not at your history of sentimental policies, but your DNA. You see, I was asked this really uncomfortable question at a table of executive leaders. They said, Rachel, do you believe in denominations? It was the word believe that worried me. Do I know about? Do I understand? Of course. I've been in church all my life. Do I believe? And that's when my spirit hesitated. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, don't answer that question, answer this one. So I said, what is it? And he said, do you believe in tribes? Easy, yes. I believe God put 12 tribes together to form a holy nation. I believe there are distinctives that are needed in the kingdom of God for the United Kingdom right now. And I believe there are essences, values, foundations, histories, trainings that define our DNA. 
I don't know really who I am. You see, I grew up in India. I went to Indian school. I'm comfortable sitting cross-legged eating rice. I learned to preach in Africa. I have to move. I have to use my hands. I have to show emotion. I'm a complex mixture. I married a British gentleman and an army officer. I live in Oxford. And I sound so terribly middle-class, darling. But actually, I'm not. I've done my DNA test. I'm 28% Irish. So who knows? So what is your DNA? What are the distinctives? What are the values that when you get together, you just go, ah, you get me. What is it that you carry for the kingdom of God? So what is carried in this name, Elam? You see, I took the E and I felt God say, E is part of evaluation. He wants you to evaluate. We've got some little things here which are going to be distributed to you. And you'll discover why you're having sweeties in a few moments. But the E is for evaluate. God wants you to evaluate how you do evangelism. Just one thing, if you've got peanut allergy, you might have to give it a miss. But God wants you to evaluate evangelism. How do you really evangel? Take the good news of Jesus. We've had all sorts, Samaritan's Purse with Outreach to Ukraine. We had the chaplaincies. You see, how is God wanting us to be the hinge and bridges in 21st century to get out with the Jesus story? How do we do that effectively within your movement, your DNA? What does it look like? Evaluate your evangelism of E. L, look at the limitations amongst your leadership. Where, when you think we need to press forward, but who's going to lead us? Where are the gaps for the forward momentum? Who are those that you think, actually, in my team, I've got no one who can really press that button and help us go forward? Hello. And God wants you to look at the limitations of leaders because I believe that Elam has an evangelistic call. I believe Elam has a leadership call. I look at how you create your informed information and distribute your teaching about yourself. What is the books? What are the strap lines? What are the clauses that actually this tribe runs with? The Lion of Judah was a lion, and you knew it. It was red. Ruby, I like that tribe. Um, what tribe's yours? Issachar, know the times. Nephilim, business people, entrepreneurs. In all of them, you have the prophetic thinkers, out-the-box entrepreneurs, but business, money, mind. What's your tribe? I informed information. But how are you going to infiltrate it with inspiration and innovation? Because sometimes it can become like dry wood. It's been the training program forever. It's the way we do it. And even our best training biblical courses can get so theological that it doesn't have practical application. So where's the innovation and inspiration for today's culture? And M, come on, say with me, M, for miracles, momentum, and movement. 
That's why you got M&M. Now eat it. I want miracles to get on the inside of you. I want a momentum to get inside of you. Come on, Elim, M&M time. Miracles and momentum. Because God created Elim with miracles. Right back in your history, there are miracles. There is momentum. There is movement. But it shouldn't be a theology on the outside. It should be the very essence of your inside. You carry it. It's part of your DNA. You're of the tribe of (laughs) M&Ms. So, sounds good today, Campbell, so I must be in the spirit. For those of you online, sorry. You should have been in the house. (laughs) I'm just provoking you. Spiritual architects. So why do we need them? We need this prophetic questioning, nuancing, to help us with the new momentum. You see, we need those who are able to see what is yet unseen and help us build new strategies. I believe that Jesus really spoke to me and he said, Elam, I want you to display Jesus. And Jesus is the same, come on, yesterday, today, and forever. So you see, if we're true incarnations and demonstrations of Jesus, we are able to rehearse history. We have the monuments and the altars of respect of the fathers, and we do honor it. But we can stand in today and say, my Jesus of today has anointed me with a new good news, and there is anointing upon me to break every captive, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to come with hope. Because today, but I know the Jesus of tomorrow and he has a path, he has a legacy, he has a formation for me. You see, we know God the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, three generations in one. Jesus is three time eras in one. And if we're Jesus people, we have to carry the three in balance. And that is tough. And that's why you need irritating people who say, but what are you doing going forward? What does it look like tomorrow? You see, God is going to raise up amongst you a new cry of that prophetic that says, we don't just want the foundation of yesterday. We want the inspiration and entrepreneurial understanding of tomorrow. We want to be, Elin, those who will awaken the new day. God gave me this picture, and it was like of hundreds of little birds singing at the dawn chorus. Really annoying or wonderful, depending on where your sleep is. And prophets can be exactly the same. But there there was this dawn chorus of exuberant praise. Come on, Sam, and worship team. That Elam sound of worship that's going to wake you up. (laughs) You see, there is a dawn chorus that God wants to interrupt that night time. We've talked a lot about the hard times we've come through. But come on, now let's focus on the great times that God's got for us. For God has a plan. My God is in control. God has got the next way. And my God satisfies. He wants to awaken the mystical, sensory side of you. So that you ignite the night and awaken the dawn of tomorrow. He wants you to be sensory. Hearing, seeing, speaking, 
You see, churches with a good prophetic understanding have congregations that know their God, know whose they are, know what they are for, and know where they are going. That's why we need that prophetic sound. We need to be able to pray able to worship those two bowls of incense that we put tip out and seed the heavens so it rains and brings us blessing in our day on our land. As we entered the 2020 decade, Helen and I did some research and we looked at the global prophetic councils of Canada, USA, UK, Europe, Singapore, Southeast Asia, and Australia. And we went through pages, and I've summarized them for you into four points. There were four points that came up again and again, that this season of the 2020s would be a season of harvest. And it's interesting, the devil tries to start it with an epidemic of death. But God has a different story. God has said, I will bring life, life that remains, and we will reverse the curse. And this is a time for the harvest of Jesus to come into his barns. This is salvation time. Number two on the list was this is a time for miracles. And miracles does not just mean healing in the sense of someone in a wheelchair getting out. Miracles means the fish with a coin in its mouth when you can't pay the taxes. Miracles means water turning into wine. Miracles means, um, I was interested in Samaritan's Purse. Helen and I have worked into Moldova for 12 years. We're right on the cutting edge. We have a girl just outside Kyrgyzstan who had a bag of 500 grams of pasta. She has fed the whole community soldiers, 150 to 300 people for 10 days from that bag of pasta as God has multiplied and multiplied and done miracles. And in our point of desperation, this is a time for miracles. Expect the unexpected. Begin to get past British psyche and lay your hands on the sick. God will bring the recovery. Speak to the mountain. Let it be moved. Third strap line. This came from Australia and I love it. You will be the first responders of hope. Come on, we've celebrated NHS and the first responders during the COVID, but come on, it's now, church's time. Be the first responders of hope. In so much mental health sickness, let's take the Jesus story and break the power of every demonic curse that's using and abusing people's well-being at this time. Let's separate those spiritual and mind, body, spirit, because we're holistic. Body, mind, soul, spirit, being aligned for the purpose of God. That is our job. That is our mission. The fourth thing, it's time for home births. I love that phrase. I think it was Jonathan said, it's not just about quantity, it's quality. That God is bringing us back into that home space. And God is going to do something in the home do you remember the story of Obed-Edom when David had bought the Ark of the Covenant on a very rickety cart? It had fallen off. Uzzah had died. And Obed-Edom had picked up the glory of God and brought it into his house. 
See, David wanted the glory of God in Jerusalem, capital city for the nation. Revival starts in the capital. It all went wrong and the wheels fell off. But a man picked it up and it brought it through his house. And I believe God is bringing the glory of God through our houses, Obed-Eden. And David said, whoa, God, I want it in Jerusalem. He said, I want it in the house. And everything that Obed-Eden did prosper, blessed. And it went from the house to the city. Come on, let's make our houses glory centers for the presence of God. Let's have home births. Maybe that's part of the Zoom and the listening online. Don't make it just for you. Make it a home birthing place. I walked into my kitchen and the television was on and I was doing washing up. And it was a farming program. I think Jeremy Clarkson, I never saw the beginning or the end, but I saw this. There were boys with toys and this guy was absolutely happy because he got this new digital robot um, uh, harvester out in the field. And he said, this is an amazing toy. You press this button, it does this. It's got this long arm. You could define when you've got round bales or square bales, the size of the bales. And this is just the most awesome machine for harvesting. You can't believe it. It's right up there in the moment, 21st century, 2022 harvesting tool. And he was off the charts, jumped on it, harvested it field, piled up all the stuff. And then there's this long arm on the front, which has been the prong to pick up the harvest, trundled up the hill to the barn. He couldn't get in. He jumped off his thing. He swore very badly, which I won't do for you. And um, he goes, what the? Now I've got the harvest, can't get in the barn. He said, it worked when I didn't have a harvest. It worked when I didn't have a harvest. You see, he trundled it in and out, but the arm had gone down. But now he had put the harvest on the thing. The arm didn't go down far enough, wouldn't go in the door. Uh-oh. I thought, that will preach. <laughs> but then the guy standing there said, yeah, but don't worry, you've got a foundation. You've already established the credit for a footprint. All you need to do is pull down that structure and build a structure that will serve your 2022 harvest. Come on, Elim. This is a moment for you for radical mission. God woke me up the other morning and he said this, Rachel... When you can't control what is happening around you, decide to control your response to what is happening and stubbornly trust me. Shall I read that one more time? Rachel, put your name in there. Dave, Gordon, Helen, Hanny, Chris. When you cannot control what is happening around you, decide to control your response to what is happening and stubbornly trust God. How many of you can be stubborn? Yeah, the stubborn ones have got their hands down. Oh, no, I won't go there. <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 11. I'm coming in almost to land where dear Chris brought us yesterday. 
I bought my little countdown clock. They're very trusting here. They don't give you one. Usually they have a little countdown clock and then a panel underneath and you disappear. <laughs> Ezekiel 11. And I'm going to read from verse 19. And I believe this is what Jesus wants to say to you. I will give you, Elim, macro. You, David, Gordon, Helen, whatever your name, micro. I will give you, gift to you, an undivided heart. And I will put a new spirit on you. I will remove from you that heart of stone. Those places where you've just hardened up just because of weariness, battle weary, toughened up. Because warriors get tough. It's hard to be a tender warrior. And some of us are battle weary, so our hearts have got hard. It's not because you're bad. It's just you've worked. And I will remove that heart of stone and I will refresh it back to a heart of flesh so that your sensory can feel, understand. And then you will know all your sensory skills. Then you will know and follow my decrees. You'll be careful to keep my laws and you're mine and I'm yours. You see, I believe God wants face-to-face -face time with you. Simple time, special time. He wants to awaken that DNA in you so that you know who you are rather than the defensive stance of what you're not. Well, we don't believe that. We don't know, but this is what we do believe and this is what we do do. I believe that God is gonna bring a new advancement to you and there were four areas. Number one, in the area of training disciples and spiritual formation. You're going to shape people. You're going to hook them with Jesus so that they can't shake it off. It will be like the Peter's, you've ruined me. You know I can't. Number two, he's going to give you skill sets to train leaders that will carry your heart strategy and make you missional in whole new ways. Number three, he's gonna give you a new understanding of church planting, both at home and away. I mean, in this nation or in urban, local, he's gonna help you in the complex. And number four, he's going to ask you to take a new perspective, new look at nations how you partner with nations, how you invest in nations, and how you put workers into nations. So train disciples, develop leaders, understand church planting. Look at the nations. Why? Because God's got you in his sights. I wonder if you could just stand with me because I want to read something as I finish. And my clock says two minutes, so I am a good girl, and that's rare. I want you to look at Jesus. Band, if you can come, that would be fantastic. But I want to read something. I was asked doing an interview just recently, ah, you Christians, how can you ever sell Jesus to the next generation? It's out of date. It's old fashioned. It doesn't merge with the culture. Do you really think there is a place for Jesus in 2022 youth generation? And this is what 
I wrote. You may say that the story of Jesus that we're called to live is finished. But I want to tell you, there's a different storyline that we are called to write from our culture. Our life story as Jesus people is a life of contrast. We are going to be light in the dark places. We have an upside down life that doesn't always make sense. But listen to me, it is courageous. People try to label us as cowards, because we're Christians. They say we live life with a crutch, that we're feeble and weak. Oh no, you just listen and read my story. We have boundaries and we say no when we are crossing the line of conscience or morals or the biblical line. We can't fudge it with, well, maybe we have to say yes and no. We go in the opposite attitude when somebody hates us, as Jesus' people, we have to find a way to be kind. When somebody takes from us, steals from us, spoils our concepts, takes our goods, we have to go in the opposite and be generous. You see, we're called to bless and never curse. The Jesus story is a life of decision. It's a laid down life, but listen, I'm not a walkover. We deny ourselves, give up our personal preferences. We even forsake our random likes to choose the Jesus way. It isn't always convenient. It is often hard, but I found it utterly satisfies. This is a radical life. This is a life so exciting for every generation, from grandparents to grandkids. This is my story. I don't want to just merge with my culture. I want to stand out, head up, shoulders back with a distinctive. And we declare we are the true legitimate history makers. We write the best stories this earth has ever read. We are the adventurers. We are the risk takers. We are unashamed. We are the Jesus people. I'm a feely, touchy person. And I've shouted at the darkness, but now let the lights come on. You know, for everyone in this space, God's asking you questions. And if there's something in you that says, God, help me be that mission-hearted Jesus person, I'm yours. That's what happened to me in Harrogate when I was 17. I'm 62 now. You do the maths. But it never left me. And I said, God, I know it costs. And I don't even know what to do. And I've been told I'm no good. But if you want me, I'm here. If you'll have me, I'm here. God, I want to break off every limitation. Every 
every mindset, every bondage, everything that's held me, I'm yours. Come on, taste that M&M in your mouth. I'm made for miracles. I'm made for something new. Come on, just put your hands to heaven and let's make this a place of prayer and worship. Consecrate your lives to the living God. Give your lives afresh and say, I don't always understand, but oh God, I'm here for you. Use me, have me, hold me. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Now put your hand on the shoulder of someone next to you and pray. I'm not gonna do this alone. It takes a village to save a child. We need each other to save a nation. Just pray for each other as we close this time. Oh God, we pray, raise up a movement, raise up a Jesus people. You do what we cannot do.